how he told me and how he taught me how to make ramen was, please eat my ramen, Jake. Remember this feeling. Remember how it makes you feel. And then on your journey of making ramen, search for this feeling. And, you know, that's how I've been trying to run this shop, right? I remember at the beginning when I came in here, how the atmosphere made me feel, how the ramen made me feel. So in turn, I'm trying to replicate that for other customers. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Way Ramen Podcast. On today's episode, I sit down with Jake Bo, the general manager and head chef of Yumio Katere in Boston, Massachusetts. Yumio Katere is a dream workshop, a place where people can come together and declare their dreams publicly while also eating a huge bowl of Yume Ramen, which is kind of like a grandchild of Jidoke Ramen. In this episode, which is very different than other episodes on this podcast, Jake shares how his encounter with Yumio Katere's creator, Tsuyoshi, changed his life. Jake didn't just learn how to make great ramen, he learned how to become a better Jake through ramen. In Tsuyoshi, Jake found a father figure that was not only willing but also able to put him on the path to live up to his true potential, and I think that's something we're all kind of searching for in life. I had a great time talking to Jake as the two-hour length of this episode shows, so I hope you enjoy it too. So here is Jake Vo on the Way Ramen Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Jake. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited. So I guess we can start off like we start off with every podcast. Can you just introduce yourself and kind of get into the story of how you got into making ramen? Okay. Um, my name is Jake Bo. Um, I am, I think, 34 years old now. <laughs> I think. I lost track. Um, I guess it's interesting because uh, I was thinking about how we're going to start this podcast off. And I think like understanding why I am here is important first. Right, right. And I'm going to be honest with you. I do not like ramen. <laughs> That's a great way to start a ramen podcast. <laughs> I There goes half of my I, questions. No, I'm just joking. Actually, I wasn't going to ask you too much about ramen anyway. So well, you don't like ramen. I, so, so this is kind of like, interesting. Yeah, it's not that I don't like ramen. It's just that I don't like, it's not like I uh, look forward to eating it every week or something like that. Um, and and um, the first time I had Yume, it was life-changing. <laughs> what made uh, it life-changing? You know, so a lot of places like, uh, so growing up, I've I dabbled in ramen around Boston, and the mm -hmm. the number one spot that was in Boston was called Sapporo Ramen, mm -hmm. and there was just always something about ramen that I didn't like, um, whether the chashu being a little bit cold or lukewarm or the soup not being hot enough. Because like growing up, my mom used to make me noodle soup, and she would spoil me and like what noodle soup was, right? Yeah. Uh, and the one thing that my mom used to do is that she would take, you know, like a bowl with noodles in it and like pour the soup in and then dump the soup out and then pour the soup in and dump the soup out like five times. I had no idea why she did that. But then she later on, I asked her and she said, it's because to get it as hot as possible. And that was like what my mom did for me. And in a lot of places that I've eaten that, it was just always something that was like, it's not, it's not hot enough. It just, it, it wasn't salty enough. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'll just eat it because it's like, whatever. 
trendy. Uh, yeah, it's trendy. I wanted to try it because growing up, I just ate instant ramen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so then one day, I, my friend, his name is Alvin, actually. Um, he told me about Yumei. And I was like, he didn't talk about the ramen. He was like, he's like, yo, if you pay $100, you get to have your dream in a frame on the wall. And I think that's really cool. And I was like, okay. So I like, I went to Yumei just to check out his dream on the wall. And then I was like, okay, I'll eat ramen as well. And then I ate the bowl of ramen. I was like blown away by it. What was um, so what was so mind blowing about the the ramen and yume? Was it the style like a like a jiro kiss style that you've never had before, or was it just like the most delicious ramen that you've ever had? Like what was it? What what made it different than everything else that you've had prior? Uh, man, you're bringing back nostalgia. <laughs> Very important <laughs> flavor. Not... Nostalgia is a super important flavor. Um. So you know. Um, the first thing that comes to mind this is a, a ramen board question that he asked me is like, why doesn't Yume use aromatics? And I haven't answered him yet. So I'm, I'm going to answer that question today. Oh, I got a lot of Did questions you... from Mike. So you, you can, <laughs> it's not going to be okay. a problem answering questions from Mike here. Uh, we do use aromatics. The aromatic that we use is pork. <laughs> <laughs> so, pork aromatics, right? Yeah. I like the pork flavor. Cause like, so like, for ramen soup, I like the taste of, I like the taste of the, the the soup. I like the taste of the stock. I like the taste of what comes from the bones and animals. You know what I mean? I really like that. And uh, you know, growing up was the same thing. Like my mom, when she made soup, it was like very chickeny soup, and I, I love the taste of the chicken soup. And all she did was add maybe a little bit of salt and whatever else, but nothing much. Maybe she had some like ginger in there, but like very little, not enough to overpower it, you know? And uh, that's what I really like about soup. That's like, has like a true taste to it versus it tasting too, I don't know, fishy or it has too many different things in it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it, it creates like this home feeling more like, a home cooked meal versus something that was like refined and because like after Sapporo ramen, the first ramen I had after that that was like supposedly really good is uh -huh. like uh, I went to Ipido in New York yeah, City, yeah. and while it was good, it's just like it's just like very refined, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, definitely. But I, was... I, I can see that. Like you're someone who appreciates. The I think Nakamura is approaches ramen in a similar way where he's he's trying not to have any flavors that there that are unnecessary and it seems like you're very much so like kind of like more more so than refinement purist in terms of flavor it seems more important to you like the purity of the actual ingredients that are going in you're tasting those things I'm not sure if that's what yeah. I'm getting. yeah 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 that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> you can help me articulate things better than I can no no. So that so you your first time eating at Yume was the first time you kind of experienced that that kind of nostalgic yeah. flavors towards things that your mom would make, the soups that your mom would make, which were very pure in a sense, with staying true to the ingredients that were added. Or is that is that why? Or was it something else? Yeah. The, dream, the dreams yeah, that, aspect or what, what what made it special? Well, there was the well, if we're just purely talking about the ramen first, it was just mm -hmm. more like 
nostalgia. It was just like a home cooked meal and stuff like that. And, you know, growing up, I ate a lot of my mom's cooking. And, um, as you know, when I left, when I moved out, you know, I just, I haven't had like my mom's cooking in a little while. So it was just like something that reminded me of my mom's cooking. Um, but then, you know, the dreams thing was really what I was here for. So why am I here? It's like the first time I ate there, I shared my dream that I wanted to like, just, I was sitting there and I was nervous as hell. Like you're sitting here. I, I got to stand up at the end of this. I got to share my dream. And I, when I was eating, I was in the entirety I was eating. I had like so much anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so then after I shared my dream, it was, uh, I wanted to quit my job and travel the world. Uh, so then a week later, I literally quit my job and traveled the world just because I got up and shared my dream. Uh-huh. Um, what were and, you doing before that? What was your job that you quit? Uh, I was a business analyst. I sat, <laughs> in, I sat in a cubicle for eight hours a day, man. Yep. You know, that cubicle life. I did that too for a while. Yeah. So then I did that and then I just didn't like it. I didn't, I also hate driving and for me to commute to work every day was just a pain in the ass. Um, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so it was a pain. And then I, but, but before I started traveling the world, I, um, there was a sign that says, do you want to change the world? Work here and find out how, something like that. So I just, I just messaged, you know, I was like, Hey, like, can I just pick up a shift? I'm like, okay. So I worked one shift and like in that one shift, like I learned so much during that one shift, not about ramen or anything, just like, um, you know, Siyoshi Nishoka, my master, he just taught me so much about life. I'm like, I just met you and you like told me about life. It's life. And I was like, wow, okay. And then I, I just like the next day for like a day or two later, I got into a plane and just like traveled. But like this place like kept with me, like where, wherever I was traveling, it just, there was just like, it kept in like my heart and stuff. So then I only had like $200 left to my name. And I was like, okay, I need to go back home and figure my life out because I'm broke. Uh-huh. And you are you originally so think, from Boston? Are you originally from that area, or did you move there? Yeah. Okay. I grew up here. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then I was like, okay, I need money. So then I just picked up like three jobs: uh, one working at EMA, another one working at REI, and I was like a waitstaff, like a catering company. And those like my three jobs. I was like trying to figure out how to pay the bills, mm-hmm. and then. Um, I just started working under Nishoka and, you know, eventually I, I really liked what I was doing here. Um, and I was, I wanted to, I was, I wanted to help people accomplish their dreams. I became the, the main host of Yume for maybe two years. And in, as the main host in the first year that I became host, I started like innovating the process of, what the atmosphere was like. I just started doing a bunch of different stuff. And um, in the first year, like maybe like halfway through the year, Siyoshi decided to say, yeah, hey, we're gonna start counting dreams and counting the number of dreamers. Let's make a goal. 
And then the first year, we're like, let's try to collect 10,000 dreams. So then with that goal in mind, I just figured out like what strategies to use to collect dreams from people. And, um, you know, one of my passions in life was like public speaking and being an entertainer. Mm-hmm. So like growing up, I did magic and I would like do magic tricks for people. I was just like a, like, I was like a born entertainer, I guess. So as the host of Yume Okatare, I became like the face of Yume, where I would just like figure out how to get people to be vulnerable to, enough to share their dreams. Um, because, you know, that's like, that, that's the atmosphere of Yume, having people want to share their dreams, creating an environment where it's like very lively. I even did magic tricks. Uh, I would stop the music, stop service, and just did magic um, while people were eating. And eventually, Siyoshi asked me, like, what do you want? What's your biggest dream? And I said, you know, I would love to own a Yumeo Katare one day. When I said that, it didn't mean I wanted to make ramen. It means I want to have this atmosphere. I want to be able to be this person that can inspire people to accomplish their dreams. And I, I love doing that. And then he was like, okay. And then like a week later, he's like, I delegate all of Yumeo to you and just left. <laughs> So that was right around like 2018 when he moved back to Japan or was that? Uh... No, um, he, I think it was, oh, I, I don't know, I think it's like 2017, 16, 17, around mm-hmm. then. Because okay. he left, he left to Japan to go learn udon. Right, right. And he made that udon shop too, right? In that same yeah. area. Yeah. And then he came back and he was around, but he wasn't around. You know what I mean? I see, like I he see. was there, but he was really focused on the udon shop. Uh-huh. And I was focused on here and, uh, and that's why, what I mean by like, I'm not really into ramen because like, like when people make, I think for me, when I make the ramen, I think, okay, how can I make a good product so that I can pay for the rent here? Not how can I make good ramen? It's more like, how can I make a good product so that I can continue paying the rent so I can have this space to do what I do best. And that's like where my main focus is. And your main, so you, when you say do what you do best, you're talking about helping people declare their dreams and accomplish their dreams. And then the ramen is like a, a vehicle to help people do that. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and it's just like, I'm not like, I, I think, uh, I, I don't look as I don't look at it like I need to make the best ramen in Boston. Mm-hmm. I think the way I look at it is how can I always do my best, mm-hmm. right, with everything I do, versus how can I make the best ramen? Um, and that's kind of like where I view the ramen. Um, and I think it'll be an interesting conversation of how I view the components of ramen. We can talk about that later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's how like why I'm here and. You know, over the first two years, I was terrible at making ramen. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. My, my master, he would, one, okay, uh, he's probably not going to be happy for me telling about this, but. <laughs> are you yeah, going to cancel yourself too? This seems to be a trend with guests on the podcast canceling themselves or canceling me by saying things. <laughs> I think. The one of the hardest moments that I've ever had was that I was, I was, it was the end of the night. It was like, you know, close to closing and I was making ramen and, uh, you know, my master comes in and he sits down and he, he's with his friends 
and he eats, he's like, oh, so I serve ramen and he's eating the ramen. And then like midway through the ramen, he just kind of just says, Jake, like out loud, like this ramen is terrible. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I look around, all the customers are just like, you know, they don't know what, because like, you know, customer's perspective versus like Matthew's perspective is different. You know what I mean? Right, right. So while other people might think the ramen's good, to him, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, it, I took it, it was really hard on me. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And I kind of just like froze. And I just kind of like tried to like, I went to him and I asked him what's wrong. He's like, it's not salty enough. Noodles are too soft, everything like that. And I was like, okay. So like, I was like, I tried to give him more tare and he was just overall pretty mad at how bad the ramen was. And like the whole place, just like the whole atmosphere of the restaurant just completely changed. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, like uh, after that day, like I, I, I gave it a day to like blow over. And I went up to him the next day and I was like, Hey man, like, uh, you know, I thought that was like, I, I was like, I, I was like, I try to say it the most polite way as possible. And I was like, Hey, it was like really rude for you to do that to me uh-huh. during service. And his response to me was something that completely blew me out of the water. I was, she was just like, the ramen was terrible. Like when I, when I like blew up your spot during service, you had two choices to make. You could have have just tried to make me happy or you could have used that opportunity to make all the customers happy, but you only chose to make me happy, mm-hmm. which is not good. And I was like, what do you, do you expect me to do? He was like, you had the opportunity to talk to all the customers at that point to see how they really like about like how do they really feel about the ramen and if any customers are not feeling great about the ramen you had an opportunity to make them happy you lost your chance to make customers more happy and when he said that to me I was like that's when I it like really changed my perspective about everything so like when I have a different like since that day like when I have a difficult customer and they walk in and how I navigate treating a difficult customer if I fail at it and they sit down they're eating a lot of people would just give up like okay I tried my best da, 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 da. but for me because of that interaction with Tsuyoshi if I have a difficult customer you know they and I are not vibing and they sit down and they're eating a meal and they're not happy what can I do to continue to not give up on that customer so that by the end of the meal, they're hundred percent happy, you know, and learning that it made me really think about like the never give up mentality, like keep on, keep on, keep on trying no matter what, if a customer is upset at you, keep on trying to make them happy. Just do what you can to keep on trying. And once I learned that it's just how, like I started running the business, you know what I mean? Like never give up mentality. Um, so my master actually never really taught me how to make the ramen. I was going to ask you about, well, I have a couple of questions from that. So the first question, before we get back into making the ramen, was that kind of just a test to, for you to, for him to see what you would have done was the, or was the ramen just terrible? And he wanted to tell you the ramen was terrible. I think it was a test. Um, because like when I first started make, coming here and working with him, mm-hmm. 
he never really taught me how to make ramen. He just kind of like, he's like, here. And he showed me what he was doing. And then I just had to replicate it. And I, and first of all, when I first met him, he didn't know English and I didn't know Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was that aspect to it. Um, but uh, the one thing I want to say about that is that him and I have the same mind. So even though there was a uh, language barrier, uh, we, we, we think the same way. So I could feel like in our hearts that, you know, we're on the same track here. And eventually how he told me and how he taught me how to make ramen was, please eat my ramen, Jake. Remember this feeling, remember how it makes you feel. And then on your journey of making ramen, search for this feeling. And, you know, that's how I've been trying to run this shop, right? I remember at the beginning when I came in here, how the atmosphere made me feel, how the ramen made me feel. So in turn, I'm trying to replicate that for other customers. Do you think that you've, um, been, you've been successfully able to achieve that or are you still chasing that even today? I'm still chasing it. <laughs> I am still chasing it, man. As ramen, like, I can't, I can't make it like him. No matter how hard I try, I, I have not yet been able. There, there are days, there are moments where I was, I'm able to replicate it maybe for one day. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, a, it just kind of happens by accident and I don't know where I got <laughs> wrong. And I'm just right. like, damn. It happened, uh, it happened this past Saturday, I think. The, I posted on my Instagram, like the noodles were good and we can talk about that a little bit later, but it, it happened this past Saturday. Um, but there was one, um, one element that wasn't the same. Um, so the soup and everything, the noodles, everything, everything was like almost like my master's ramen. But the one thing where I failed was aerating the, the oil. So the oil feels um, more, more, more light. Um, so that's the day where all the components are perfect to my masters that would be the day that i achieve it but then to replicate it is another story right you can maybe hit it once but then trying to hit it every single time is going to be another journey in that in itself uh, <laughs> i was going to ask you when you were kind of getting into your story did you have any culinary experience prior to joining you because <laughs> you nope. said you were a business analyst and so you were working in a cube and I want to oh, you tell you tell your master I want to come work at your ramen shop, and, and he's like, okay, cool, and he just like let you in with no culinary experience, or yeah, because my my master is the same. He was he he um, he was originally a comedian, right? He was a manzai kind of guy, right? Like a stand up comedian with his partner or something, and yeah. the partner committed suicide, and that's kind of what inspired him to to do yume. How do you know? Oh, I, I did a little bit of research. No, I, I did a little bit of research. I read a Wikipedia page or two, English and Japanese. <laughs> <I see. laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I, yeah, I don't think I need culinary experience. I mean, I'm just making one dish, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, and I, I think that's another reason why I'm so terrible at making this ramen simply because I don't have culinary experience, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a chef. Um, 
as much as people think I'm a chef. I'm literally just a guy trying to navigate how to make something that my master taught me. And I've been trying to do that for the last four or five, six years. That's actually a really cool thing that he gave you because it really is about the journey, right? He, he gave you a journey to go on. And yeah. whether you hit it or not, you're going to remember the journey from the start, the impetus of this ramen is terrible, Jake, figure it out to, you know, when you eventually get it where you're nailing it every single time. That's a, that's a pretty cool gift to give somebody. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when you, when you talk about that, the, the first thing that comes to mind was that during my journey, I, I had so many difficulties, right? Mm-hmm. And I asked him about his journey and the way he responded to me was like, okay, that's, a CEO thing to say because uh, he's just so wise. I'm like, I'm just like blown away every time I talk to him. I'm like equally scared and not scared of him. You know, um, I asked him about his journey and then he told me that he refuses to tell me his journey. And I was like, why? He's like, if I tell you my journey, you won't discover the things um, on your own. Right. Like you need to experience it yourself. You can't live vicariously through me or have a false sense of security, a false sense of hope because I was able to overcome it. Like you need to do this on your own. And um, after he said that to me, though, the next thing that he said to me that really like kind of like blew me away was um, he told me one day, like, he's like, do you, Jake, do you know why I'm so hard and difficult on you? And I'm like, no, why? And then he was like, because I'm not always going to be around. Like, who's, who's gonna, who's gonna make you be disciplined enough? Like, you're the only person that can do that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like when you own a restaurant, there's so many things that I hate doing, like cleaning, deep cleaning day and stuff like that. And, and making sure that all the equipment is like completely maintenance and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, like, who's going to force you to do that? If I, when I'm not around, who's going to force you to do that? Like, you, you need to learn how to do these things. And, and it's just like, over time, all the things that I felt about him just kind of like disappeared because I was like, ah, I understand now, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, the, you know, like uh, Karate Kid, like Mr. Miyagi? Yeah. Tired of doing these chores, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Let me do some karate. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. He, the, the one thing that he made me do that it was ridiculous is that when he gave me Yume, I had to clean the, the our employee bathroom every single day, right? Uh-huh. And it's just like, there's a reason for that. Um, and the reason for that is that the employee bathroom is like, like, the dirtiest place in Yume. And if you, the owner, can handle that place with care, that means the rest of the restaurant you can handle with care, uh-huh. right? Because if you ignore that spot, then it's just like, what else, what other areas do you ignore in the restaurant? You know what I mean? And that's like how meticulous you need to be with the cleanliness, with the ramen, everything like that. And you know, the first year when I was doing this, I failed. Like he would come back because he, he flew back to Boston every month to check in. And he's like, the bathroom's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he was like, I was like, how? And he's like, showed me like 
where I could do better. And I was like, I see. And then like, I was failing him like every month. So for over two years, he would ask, he would tell me to send him a picture of me cleaning the bathroom. (laughs) So for two years, (laughs) I just had like pictures of like different spots of the bathroom. Yeah. And like my entire, my entire Google library was just like photos of the bathroom. (laughs) So I remember... I remember one time I like I gave my phone to like my cousin to like do something and he right. he kind of like opened up my like photos and he's yeah. like why are there just photos of toilets <laughs> like a toilet <laughs> fetish or something Jake's kind of weirder <laughs> was... than I thought he was <laughs> but you know I you know I and but but through that lesson of cleaning the bathroom I learned like a lot like a lot like it's it's gonna be just, kind of stupid but it like when you clean the bathroom over and over and over and over and over every day mm-hmm. all over again it's like for example like this wall behind me right yeah if i clean this wall every single day the next day i'm like huh and i'm cleaning it i'm gonna be like well it's kind of bumpy yeah and then the next day i'll be like i want to sand this down and make it smooth and then the next day i might feel like huh it's it's whatever and then eventually down the line here's this mirror you know what I mean? Like yeah. you make it by doing something over and over again, you just make it better. He's, it seems like he's instilled in you a lot of these kind of uh, amorphous, ambiguous Japanese cultural things. Um, Elvin in the chat was kind of asking if you've ever heard the word omotenashi, the Japanese word omotenashi, because nope. you essentially explained what omotenashi was in English very well with your story of when he said this ramen is terrible and he wanted to see what you would do to make other your customers happy at all costs. That is a Japanese concept called omotenashi. And that's kind of what Japanese people pride themselves on when serving others, that they can do this. They can think about the customer in, at such a level that they will do anything they can to make them happy or their guests or anything like that. And so, and then the thing that you're talking about now with the doing that, cleaning the bathroom and shit is kind of like, um, a concept from the book of five rings where he um, written by that samurai Miyamoto Musashi, where he's talking about once you, the quote is once you can learn to see the way you see it in all things. And it's a very uh, commonly, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if it's said in Japan, in Japan, but everybody kind of knows that idea. Of mm. if, you, if you can perfect yourself in anything, you can see a path to perfection in anything else. And so it seems like he's, he's, try to instill in you all these like kind of cultural things in japan that it's kind of interesting right it's just fascinating to me and and elvin was shouting to ask you about that too so (laughs) there's a lot of man people are loving this interview there's there's a lot of questions coming out okay let's answer some questions no no keep going i like i like your story we got we got some time what time is your thing that you have to do in like an hour or two um let me see what time is it I have four or five, five. I have like three hours. Oh no, we're not gonna go three hours, but yeah, we got time to ask questions and stuff. But this is fascinating. Yeah, like, I, I really like this. This this is really cool, man. Like, cause it, your journey is interesting. It's a it's a different journey than most people that I have on the podcast. Even though you have some similarities where I wasn't a chef and I found it and kind of fell into this thing and I love it. But yours is it's it's a much deeper and interesting story so keep going like uh where you where you kind of left off um okay i mean to kind of talk about that real quick it's like because i didn't feel like i was a chef because i wasn't really interested in the ramen i was always kind of like 
self-conscious about the ramen. You know, my, my master was telling me I had terrible ramen. So, you know, like I never really cared about the ramen community because I was just generally afraid of it. I, I felt like a, I don't know, like an imposter. So it wasn't until I started making good ramen until I started like it started clicking that I felt confident in what I was doing enough to start joining the way of ramen podcasts and doing this with you. The only reason why I'm doing this with you because I I want to be part of another community, right? So it's just like oh like okay I think I have an understanding of ramen now. Let me see what I can learn from the community about ramen um, because I I put all my eggs in the basket with Tsuyoshi. It was like, I came to him for everything. Something breaks, I would come to him. Anything I did, I would just come to him. And, you know, eventually I realized that, and then a lot, and, and he told me this story about a hundred people where I look for a mentor in my life. Cause I was always looking for a mentor in my life. Growing up, I was kind of like, very lost and I was just always looking for somebody to just kind of like mentor me and he was like literally because I didn't grow up with a father he left me when I was like one years old so CEO she was like the first father figure in my life so like I held on to that you know what I mean um so when he left you know I had like all these like abandonment issues I was like man like my my master my father figure left me and um, and every time he'd come back, he'd just be really hard on me. You know what I mean? Like I, I was always like chasing like this validation, this validation from him. And, um, eventually he, you know, I was, he told me that, uh, if I walk into a room of a hundred people, you know, I would look for somebody to a mentor or somebody like that. Whereas when he walks into a room of a hundred people, everyone is his mentor. So having that mentality instilled in me, when I joined this community of people, it's like I entered thinking anybody can teach me anything, right? I'm always trying to like grow, like I need to grow. Like I, I don't like to be stagnant. So it's like if I continuously just keep looking for mentors and like big people, it's like I'm never going to learn as much as my heart craves, so I feel like the reason why I joined this community is because I feel confident with what I'm in, what I'm doing, and that I can talk to people in an in a intellect where I can comprehend it, you know, um, and I can learn things from everyone that's you know um, making ramen. Um, that's why, and that's why I'm really here to kind of just like learn. I'm, I'm, learning. I'm the biggest imposter in this whole ramen thing. I have no idea why people watch the videos or <laughs> listen to the podcast. I literally have no idea what I'm doing and uh, just figuring it out as we go. But I think people, I think people appreciate like the honesty a little bit that I can just say it like, I don't know what I'm doing. I make terrible ramen all the time. So it's, yeah, it's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when did, when he left, when your master, was his name Tsuyoshi? Tsuyoshi Nishoka. Okay, yeah, when he left and he went back to Japan, like what was that like for you? Because he he lives in Japan now currently, right? He was he was in yeah, he was in, in, in Boston setting up Yume and then he got into uh, Udon, set up Yume ga Arukara, and then now he's in Japan and he has something in Japan going on too, right? Like what was that like for you when he left? Um it was hard. 
Um, because like Siyoshi is such a charismatic and great leader. Like he, like I saw him as such like, like one of the most influential person I've ever met in my life. And a lot of the people, a lot of the members, we call them members, uh, uh, because you know we don't we don't really call people uh, employees here. Mm-hmm. We call them members because a member of a community, and all the members really looked up to him. And you know, one thing that you know I'm trying to not talk about because I don't know how to like articulate it well because it always comes off really bad. <laughs> and, um, it's the concept of uh, volunteering, um, and every time I talk about volunteering, people are just like very turned off about that because it's like why are you volunteering your free time and it's because like every time I was here he taught me so much about life that I just create I, I just wanted to be here all the time so when I came back he put me on every dinner shift uh closing shift which was from 8 p.m to like midnight or something like that and and I was just like, okay, like that's all you can give me. And he's like, yeah, that's like, that's all I can give you. Like, I can't give you full shifts. And that's right now. Cause like we're overstaffed and I'm like, okay, fine. You can give me full shifts. I'm happy with that. But then I said to myself, like, I'm so invested in the learning that I just showed up for prep. Like when he was there, like 8am in the morning, I just showed up and I was like, Hey, can I'm, I don't, you don't need to pay me. I just want to learn. He's like, okay. And then like, I, I worked the, I worked prepped. I learned how to make noodles. I worked the first part of the shift. And then I worked my part of the shift, which I got paid for. And I just did that because I was so invested in learning. And a lot of the other members that worked here had the same similar feeling. And so many people would just volunteered here because they just wanted to learn about life. Uh, because this place isn't like, teaching you how to cook or teaching you about ramen. It was like teaching you about skills that you can apply to everything you do in life. Mm-hmm. And like, that was something that was just the amount of effort this man put into uh, like, you know how you talk about Eric and I's relationship, mm-hmm. like him, like my master's I relationship is very similar in, in the sense that like there were nights where like we finish at like, we would finish cleaning up by 11 p.m. And he would just sit with me from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. just talking to me for like multiple nights. And, I'm, and then like... So he eventually I learned went, how to speak English or you learned how to speak Japanese or something that you guys could talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, he, he learned English eventually, but yeah, then yeah. most of the time it was like translating. And uh, okay, like that. Okay. Uh, maybe that's why it took so long. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been one hour if you could, if without Google Translate, it wasn't necessary. Uh, see. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So would you talk? What, what kind of? Can you give some examples of things that you would talk about? Like, would you talk it? Would the conversation start off about the service and then morph into? And that's why in life we do these things. Or what was the general um, conversations about? I, I can. I don't, there's just so much. There's literally so much. Like he just taught me about life, how to have like interpersonal skills, how to like talk to people, how to look at things, how to approach things, 
Um, I guess the, 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 the one story that I can really give you that I talked about before that really changed uh, the way I view things is that the first week that I worked here, he told me to go outside, get on my hands and, knee, hands and knees and scrub the sidewalk. <laughs> uh, do you know about the story? No, but that's, I, 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 that's what they make kids do in Japanese elementary schools. They make them clean the elementary school by going on their hands and knees and scrubbing yeah. the, the, the rooms and stuff. So I can ima- I'm imagining you doing that in my mind. So I don't know the story. <laughs> so I'm doing that. And I always just thought I was being hazed. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm just new. I'm being hazed. And he can empathize with my attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw like I had a bad attitude about it, but I just kind of sucked it up and did it anyways, right? Um, and while I was outside scrubbing the floor, he came outside, got in his hands and his knees and scrubbed the floor with me. And he said to me, like, do you know why we do this, Jake? And I said, no, like, I have no idea why we do this. And he said that, you know, you know, this building, we rent this space. And because we rent the space, we're a guest in this community. So as far around the radius of Yume Uokatare is, you need to make it as beautiful as it can be. Mm-hmm. And when he got on his hands and knees, that was the moment that he made me feel like he's not my superior, mm-hmm. that he's like my equal. Right? And that's when I was like, my ego went out the door. I really changed like the way I view things. And that was the moment where I was like, this man is here to help me grow. Like his like motive in life is to help me grow and help me succeed and accomplish my dreams. There's nothing else. And, you know, a funny story about motives is that um, one of my workers here, he says that he doesn't like to have friends. And I'm like, why? And he, or he doesn't like to ask people for help. Um, and I go, why? He's like, he feels like every single person in this world has an ulterior motive. And like when they do something for you, it's out of an ulterior motive. Right. They're expecting something in return later, maybe down the road, not, not tomorrow, but I can see how that, that men's mindset can be easily developed in today's society. So, yeah. Yeah. So when he, when he talked to me about that, my response to him was maybe people do have an ulterior motive, but ulterior motives does not equal negative. It's not a negative thing. You can have positive interior motives. And I said to him, for example, if I want to learn how to make good curry, right? Then I go out and I learn and I help somebody make good curry. My interior motive is so I can make good curry, mm-hmm. but that's not a negative thing. <laughs> it's right? like, it's like, I want to make good ramen. So I get people who are better than me on the podcast and should get them to tell me how to right. make good ramen. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when I told him that he like, he changed his perspective and, you know, Siyoshi like, that man does not have a bad ulterior motive. He's just like a very like straightforward. He knows what he wants. And I've always trusted him with whatever he taught me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I continue to like, but then I realized that the, um, the one thing that the reason why he left is because eventually it got to the point where he saw me as his equal, like complete equal. And he's not going to like say I'm your equal. Like he viewed me and I only found out about that like a year ago. And uh, we'll get back to that later because Siyoshi is my master, but there's a person above Siyoshi okay. that I had the pleasure of working with once. And we'll go into that later. There's a, I don't know what's, what's above a master, grandmaster? <laughs> I guess. I'm trying to think. Yes, of, I work. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of like in, in Japanese hierarchical societies. I don't know what's above. You have your senpai and then you have above the senpai, you have the senpai senpai, but I'm not sure what, <laughs> what, be, what the term for that is. You know, We can call it the grandmaster. Yeah, the grandmaster. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. Just remind me later. Um, so uh, I realized because I became his equal, he needed to go and grow himself. He couldn't teach me anything anymore. He taught me that all he can. Uh-huh. And it, he needed to go and leave and grow and continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, and that's why I'm here growing and he's out there growing. Um, and it really goes back to a story where he told me that, um, you know, when there's too many strong people in a room, it's not, a, it's not an invitation to be lazy. You know what I mean? It means like you guys need to continue to skill up. So he left. One of the reasons why he left completely is because he went out to grow and better himself as a person, as a leader, as somebody. So then I can, you know, carve my own path. Um, and that's what I kind of want to do with the ramen world. Not only do I want to like, create a place where people are coming here thinking about their dreams. But like later on, when we talk about the components of ramen, like my actual, like true dream, like I have two, two dreams. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first dream is that I want to go down. Like I want to be, go down in history as somebody that helped people accomplish their dreams. But the second thing that I've come to realize lately, ever since I started joining the ramen community, is that, you know, I always talk about Yume Ramen. Right. And it's I don't. Not Gatsuri K, Jiro K, it's Yume Ramen. Right. Because I've never had Jiro Ramen. Mm-hmm. I've only had Yume Ramen. Right. So my, like, life's like my, like, and. I got this from um, Jiro, the guy at Mitsuchi, uh-huh. that once you decide your profession, you need to dedicate your entire life to perfecting that craft. And I want to focus on perfecting this craft to the point where, you know, Yume becomes the style. Like I talk about Yume style, right? Like it was just like ramen and then it became the styles, Jiro Ramen. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to make Yume style. I want to go down in history as somebody that's influential. How do I get there? You know what I mean? Like, that's like the bigger picture of 
things. So when I spend the time thinking about my ingredients and thinking about my components, it's like, what can I do to innovate the ramen? What can I do to change the course of how this ramen is viewed? You know, so that it's just not like an imitation of something else. Mm. And that's what I can stand on its own rather than, oh yeah, Yume is kind of like a Jiro shop. It's like, no, it's like Yume, Yume is a Yume shop and uh, that's it. (laughs) It was once and it was a, it it came, what its lineage is from Jiro style ramen, but now it's just its own thing. That's kind of what you're shooting for. Yeah, I think, and it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, like the, the way I cultivated that feeling was that, um, so you know, Katare is like the flagship location, right? It's where, it's the location that has the most amount of dreams and dreamers. And that's the reason why it's the flagship location. It's not about the ramen, because my master's ramen is obviously better than mine. Um, and for like two years now, the last two years, uh, the last two summers, Siyoshi started just sending me all these Japanese people for me to train them. Mm. And the first year I was like, oh my, it was like, it was such like a, a crazy task. Yeah. They don't, they don't like, uh, not only uh, we, ha- I had this kid, he was 17 years old. And his dream was to open up a Yume Okatare in Japan. Mm-hmm. Siyoshi sent him here so that I can train him. And then not only did he send this kid here, he also sent other people here. And it was then that I realized that, you know, like this place is going to become an institution one day mm-hmm. where I want to be able to have people come learn about life, learn about the ramen and graduate from U- Yume University. Do you, you know? think that part of that was he saw saw some saw, saw in that if he sent people to you for for you to train that it would help you grow as well that you yeah think that was that was part of his idea it was like oh i think jake could really benefit from the experience of having to train people and uh japanese people who can't speak english <laughs> he's gonna have to figure something out there uh, yeah he he's always making me struggle right he, um so i think there's a um, I think called, um, I think I'm not sure. I think this is a Japanese thing. It's like a, we have a hierarchy system here. Uh-huh. Um, it's so, very Japanese-y. Yeah, <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> um, so the hierarchy system is like, let's say there's uh, four workers and CEO, she's working, I'm working. Let's say uh, Elvin is working and you're working. Uh-huh. And you're the lowest, you're the new right. worker. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I am. I'm the, am you're the, the uh what is it called oh my gosh i only know senpai because that's all we say in the in the what elvin what is the word for that i'm looking for i can't even come up with my it's not de- well in in ramen world it's called deshi like your disciple or apprentice but yeah. there's a it's senpai and kohai kohai is like the lowest one, right? yeah yeah so let's say you're the kohai yeah um so because we have a hierarchy system um you should never ask siyoshi for any help uh-huh. You should never ask Yoshi for information. You need to ask the person above you. And if that person doesn't know, they would ask me. If I don't know, and then I ask Yoshi. So that going up the chain of command, mm-hmm. everyone learns. Because if you just ask Yoshi and he teaches you, yeah. myself and the other person would never learn anything. 
Right, right. So you're, really you're, you're presenting opportunities for learning up the chain. So if, if the person up right above you can't answer the question, then he has an opportunity to learn too from the next person and going up and up and up. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a great way to actually... I never thought of it that way, the, the, the Japanese company structure, but that makes a lot of sense actually when you see it like that. I just thought it was like institutionalized uh, feudalism, but <laughs> it actually makes it, it actually seems pretty practical now that you put it like that. Yeah, yeah it's just, I, I, yeah, I appreciate I'm, I was able to learn so much like Japanese concepts and the way we like do things. And it's, a lot of these concepts are very foreign to this Western culture. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes when I talk about like the concept of like, volunteering it gets like a bad rep simply because you know you think like a lot of people think like wow i can't believe you make people volunteer and not pay them any money paying people money is a lot easier it's so easy paying people money is incredibly easy to do providing them value is extremely hard to do you know, because the, if you, the, the, the most stupid thing about it is people pay money to go to college and that's like you're <laughs> paying money to learn what you could learn for free if you just volunteered. But for some reason, that's not frowned upon, you know, to pay money to learn. But if you learn right. for free, then it's, oh, no, that's bad. You can't do that. I got to pay you. To, you got to, I got to get paid to learn in this situation. It's kind of, it's fucking stupid. Like I think about that all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's crazy. So, but then it's just like, it, people have a choice, right? If I'm not providing you with enough value, mm-hmm. they'll just leave. Yeah. They don't need to come in. I'm not forcing people to be here. Yeah. I'm not forcing people to not be here. I, I only want people to be here. Like, that's kind of like the concept that I've grown around where, you know, I used to work at like, let's say REI. Mm-hmm. And I had like, whatever, 20 coworkers that's on shift, um, cashiers, floor runners, people stocking. And, you know, like half the people didn't want to be there. You know, right, and, right. They're doing it and, st- just for the paycheck. They're just there to get the paycheck, put in the hours to be there to get the paycheck. Yeah. yeah. So when you're in that kind of environment, it's like really limiting. Whereas when, where for me, I'm in an environment for knowing that when Eric is here, he wants to be here. When Michael or the other members are here, they want to be here. And when everybody wants to be here, the things that we produce out of this place is, you know, I think amazing. You know what I mean? Like we always want to strive to do more, you know, like uh, my year goal is to be a content creator. And I started with like, you know, on top of running a restaurant and, and doing all the things that I do, I also spend like countless, I only get like four hours of sleep by the way, every night. You have a kid? Uh, <laughs> no. Oh man, See, just hustling. Is, <laughs> See, that's the thing. That's another thing. Um, I don't know how you guys do it because it's, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Like I can't, mm-hmm. I realize that if I, I actually have many kids, Eric is one of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have oh. many children. Um, and it's just like, I realize that I can never have children uh, because I just don't have the time. I would not have the time to properly be a good father. I can, I can relate to that. I struggle with that because there's so many things that I want to do, but I also know that I have two kids and I'm not going to get time. This is, this is always going to be the youngest that they'll ever be this present moment. So it's always a 
push and pull with that. It's like, oh, there's things that I want to do. But I'll, I, I kind of uh, come to terms with that, just knowing that I'm going to be around for a long time too. So there's no rush to do anything really. But yeah, it's, 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 I can see like, I, I, re- I think me and you are actually very similar in a lot of things. The way that you're talking and think about it's, I think about these things a lot too. You're, you seem very <laughs> self-aware that you, you would struggle with kids too. Maybe I wasn't that self-aware when I had my kids. It was like, ah, kids fine. Cause my parents, my, my dad worked all the time and our time spending together was me going to work with him. Cause he owned his own business and stuff. So, uh, I didn't, so, but my wife had like a really loving family and they spent weekends and summers together. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like, you know, you guys are just hanging out. You're just supposed to be doing something. You know? <laughs> Cause it was, like, cause it was just from the time I was like, I think I started working with my dad when I was six i think that my my kid is six and i was six? like I, i'm oh, pretty sure no when i was six years old i was working with my dad because he he was a farmer first so i would be at the farm like oh, wow. stapling boxes like you know i would be like putting the box above my head and stapling together so he could pack the yeah. bananas and stuff and i remember it because we had a hurricane in 1992 and i was 10 and it was way before the hurricane so it, it was i would have to be at least under 10 and i was like uh, when i was 10 at the hurricane i was working at the eggplant thing and i was picking eggplants to sell that so i was like that was that was the time Damn. that i spent together with my dad so yeah it's kind of weird like it's so just being this is like not even off, off topic but just it's it's been a it's been an interesting experience to me being married to someone who had a normal upbringing where it's like oh you know this is this is what it's like you you don't do anything on the weekends because it was like work <laughs> every weekend from when i was six till i left for college so yeah oh my god really that was your life oh yeah yeah and that's and and so that's it's, it's pretty weird because i talked to i talked to ram lord about it and i'm pretty hard on myself when it comes to pretty much everything it's like oh, i could have done better but but a lot of that's like I've been coming, coming, kind of coming to realize like hey, that's actually the part of me that lets me do cool shit is that I've been working since <laughs> I was six and I know how to work yeah. my face off if I if I need to and uh, I shouldn't beat myself up for knowing how to do that so because it's a, it's a gear that I think a lot of people can't even shift into if they want to so that's kind of a weird thing but anyway sorry oh. for interrupting your well story. that's actually really really interesting to me. Yeah. I like I want to like. Just, I'm kind of trying to like empathize with like that gear, right? Like, cause like, cause because you essentially you've been hustling since you were six years old. Oh, right. Like I was selling limes to restaurants and, you know, I had a, we had a tiny lime tree in my backyard and I like pick it and then sell it to the restaurants for like a bar. They make margaritas and shit and do wow. that shit. How old, how old are you? When I was doing the lime thing, I was probably like nine. It was before so the hurricane. Now? I'm 39 now. 39 okay doing it since i've been hustling for about 33 years maybe not 30 not 33 36 years no 30 33 years yeah right around 33 years yeah it's kind of nuts now that i think about it i don't know how to my biggest challenge is like shifting down down shifting and relaxing i don't know how to fucking do that it's pretty hard yeah same i don't don't know i mean i've been only so the interesting thing between you and i Mm -hmm. is that I've been hustling for maybe like six, seven years now mm-hmm. because like from like, yeah, you know, I guess when I was 16 to about 27, 28 years old, right? Uh, around 27 years old, I kind of just like wasted my life away. I 
was in a bunch of relationships. I I played Call of Duty all the time. Like I was like into like video games and I would binge like TV shows and like I would be on the internet like all the time. Like I'm never in front of the computer now. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there was just like a day when, when I joined Yume was the day I stopped doing all these things that provided no value to me. Like, I don't even, like, I don't even watch TV shows anymore. I don't watch any movies. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't play video games anymore. And it's just like, you know, like my hobbies now, it, it relates to my work somehow. You know what I mean? So yeah. for example, like photography and making funny videos. I do that for you, Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasted so, a lot of time too in my twenties. That was my one kind of break from hustling was college. I, I just fucked around with like the, my four years in college, just did whatever I wanted to. But <laughs> soon as soon as that was done, <laughs> to the real world again. But but the, the thing about what is what is wasting time because you know I had a lot of failed businesses when I was in my twenties. Was that wasting time? Like I I would try things and there were certain mental blocks that I had that I needed to work through through failing. So it's kind of. I don't know, mm. I, but I guess you, if you're saying it doesn't really provide value to your life, if playing video games doesn't provide value, then maybe, but I, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like maybe it was like a year or two of playing video games, but I was like playing Call of Duty for like 14 hours a day for like a five years straight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that's, I, mean? that's what oh, I, I can't really talk because there was there was some times in college Starcraft 2 and or Starcraft and uh, Starcraft 2 when that came out later and Street Fighter 4. I, I fucked around kind of a lot with that shit. So I cut that out too, but I can, I can identify yeah. with that. It's, it's made to do that, you know? Like these people are, these games are designed by really smart people to make you play for a long time. So it's not your fault, you know. Jake. It's not your fault. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I just, but then I realized that, you know, it's not, it's not about, because I compared myself to a lot of people, you know? Like, I just and I just stopped comparing. Like everybody has their own journey, right. you know. So, um, yeah. Um, so now my journey is trying to figure out how to, you know, make better ramen. And um, any ramen questions we got? Let's just get right into making ramen. Well, I got a bunch of ramen questions. So, you know, let's talk about a little bit about what you've learned about making ramen and the components of ramen these things around that because i i've never made you know gatsurike jiroke style ramen before so i'm i don't know anything about it i'm kind of just curious to hear. <laughs> well i've never made you i've never made yume ramen either so i'm just kind of curious about what what's similar what's not similar to what i do with the things that i make and you know i've i've i've, I've translated some jiro style recipes from english from japanese to english just to see what it's about and the that style is really popular in the Discord server. Like people love it. And mm. I, I've never tried it yet, so I'm just really curious. You can talk about that. What you've learned about that? Um, so I've actually changed my mind on a lot of things recently. But the one thing that I haven't changed my mind is is that I I'm going to be a complete open book about everything about Yume as much as I can. The only thing that I am not able to do is give out the noodle recipe. Yeah. Um. Uh, that's the only thing that I'm not able to do. Um, 
So, and the, uh, and the reason is because I recognize how much effort and how much work that I put into making this ramen that there's, uh, I don't care if I show you how to do it anymore because if you want to replicate mm-hmm. what I make, you're going to have to dedicate the same amount of time that I do. Mm-hmm. So and if somebody puts in that effort, like I applaud them for doing that. <laughs> so it's like, so, um, so I actually learned a lot about ramen this past week that I want to kind of talk about. Yeah. Let's get into um, it. So I've been having troubles with the soup recently and it was just, it was just giving me so much trouble and I couldn't figure out how to fix the soup. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? And then I kind of just went through like my old notebooks from back because we're all required to like constantly take notes. And I realized that I was like deviating from the basics. And that small deviation from the basics had like huge drastic impact on the soup. Are you talking about just adding different things in or is it, what are you talking about when you say deviating from the basics, the technique or the ingredients? The technique. Okay. So for example, um, so we cook the soup for 14 hours, right? And all it is, is water, femur bone and backbone. That's it. There's no aromatics. There's no nothing. Uh, the way we do it is that we hard boil it for the first five to six hours just to break down everything. Um, and when, when the fat starts to render, we go onto a medium boil um, so that the fat goes on. So you can see all the fat oil on top, but then it's still boiling enough, but not emulsifying the oil. Ah, uh, I see, I see. So, you know, and then, you know, stirring constantly. So that's really, that's the first important thing about making the soup is that you hard boil, wait until the fat renders. And when the flash, the fat is uh, floating on top, set the temperature to the heat enough so that you can see boiling, but then there's like a ring of oil still. That's the first step. I just started becoming lazy. And when the soup was done, uh, because, because we've slowed down now before we were serving a lot. And well, what I would do is I would transfer out the soup and, and, uh, strain the soup into another pot and then start the next soup. But because one pot of soup can last two days now, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be lazy because like, you want to keep those bones, right? Yeah, Yeah. So I just left the bones like in the soup, uh, and I didn't realize that those bones that are still in the soup, I thought it would make it better, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized that it did not make it better. It actually made the soup worse. Yeah, uh, they call that uh, zatsumi in Japanese, like off flavors that you can kind of add by overcooking bones or over something, something to do with that. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, there's, was it like a off flavor or was it, what, what made it worse about it? Was, it? It's, I can't even, okay. It's just like, okay, when the soup is like peak deliciousness and great soup, mm-hmm. it's like a beautiful white color and then it turns into like a golden color when you cook uh, pork in it, right? And then when you're cooking pork in it and when you're in service, when you're adding uh, sheets of fat to that soup, it renders the oil beautifully. Whereas if the soup is not good, 
no matter how much pork fat sheets I put into the soup, it produces no oil. And I don't understand why. So it's like, it's like I'm, I'm breaking down the pork fat sheets, but there's like no oil anywhere to be found. And it's like, I, I don't know if it's like, my only thought process is that it's emulsifying, even though I'm not hard boiling it. Right. So it's just, I can't, I don't know the reason for it. Maybe people in the discord can, can tell me, but then like, that's one of the things I was struggling with. Cause like, when we are in service, we, the thing that's really important is producing fresh, the freshest oil possible. So the only way to do that is to literally put pork fat sheets in the soup and it slowly renders oil for each round. And when the soup is bad, like there's no oil. It's not golden. It's like brown. It tastes, it tastes okay. Um, but I don't got, I don't got the oil. So it changes like the texture of the bowl yeah, a lot. Yeah. So the taste is there, but the texture is not there. So this, so what I started doing this past, uh, this past week or this past couple months is that once I realized that I had some new techniques, I, I would, I would ladle out the soup and then I would pour in new, I would pour in water and I would start cooking those old bones, right? Uh, after cooking those old bones, I would take those old bones out and then I would add in new bones. Um, and that has been producing amazing results. Uh, this is something, this is a technique that I've never done before. Oh, cool. And, and this is a new technique that I started doing the last two months. Is it just out of necessity that because you're not serving the volumes, you're trying to figure out a way to kind of get around? Because if you're serving like all those bowls, you're, when you guys are fully open with no COVID and stuff, you probably had no problem with this because your, your, turn, your turnover was so much that you would drain the soup and you kind of start fresh. But because it's been slower, you've been kits and takeout and stuff, you need to, uh, you can come up with this technique to kind of maintain the same similar soup. And uh, is that kind of what it is? Yeah, but it's actually made the soup a lot better. Than, oh, interesting. Yeah, because so so what you do is um, uh, once you take out all the ready soup, you dump in new water, and then as you dump in the new water and you fill up that pot, you're basically washing the bones, right? That's what my master calls it. Mm -hmm. And then you 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 take out all the bones and you look for you know bones that are still good with like that are still good. And then you look for like little tendons and little floating like marrow, marrow and stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be in that sludge, you're going to miss everything. Like a, you're going to miss like a, like some, right? Yeah. Or whatever. You're not going to get all the tendons. You're not going to get all this. Mm -hmm. With this new technique that I've developed, you're getting all those tendons. You're getting everything. Um, however, if you just add bones on top of the old bones without removing everything it actually spoils the soup or you're not gonna be producing the same amount of volume of soup because there's too many bones in there yeah, yeah so me trying this new technique where i basically take the leftover bones and make like soup water and i use soup water so i use this soup water and then i put new bones in it afterwards and it, it has created it's like almost like a double a double broth i guess 
essentially, it's like a, I think. A, a double broth with the same kind of bones. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Yeah, so I, I, I just had to figure out how to continue to make this thing, this concept that I learned called, you know, century soup, which I learned recently because I was just like, okay, like I need to figure out how to like continue to make the, the broth good. So it was like this past Saturday, like I made the best batch of broth I've ever made. Um, and, you know, that's the soup. Um, I think for me, it's like, so I think simple ramen is hard and complicated ramen is easy. You know, like, so if you, if you take a bowl of ramen um, and let's say the soup is good, but the noodles are bad, and then you put a bunch of toppings on it, on it the consumer is going to be like, wow, this ramen's great. Um, because all the, I, I personally feel that all the toppings is hiding the imperfections right, of the, right. the dish. Right. You can, you can, even like if you just make the soup, there's a, there's a threshold, of course, like I've gone way past the threshold where I just add too much shit into everything, but you can kind of mask some of the imperfections by adding more things into it. You know, it's like, oh no. So it's the, what's making the ramen bad is kind of getting muddled by the, the overwhelming amount of different flavors that you're tasting. You can kind of get there if you add enough things like, oh, if I just throw a bunch of like katsubushi in at the end, smoking smoky fish hit will kind of mask the crappiness of the noodles a little bit and yeah but if you're just doing pork like a simple pork stock and it's kind of less things to hide it kind i guess yeah definitely so so with that concept of the ramen being so simple each component so the my first lesson in my um in my time is that each component needs to be the highest quality it can be um and that takes a huge amount of attention to detail. Mm -hmm. um, but not only that, but not only, so there's a, there's a, something that I've learned recently. So like we have like, I don't know, let's say we have five components, you know, like bean sprouts, garlic, soup, pate, whatever. And I can make all those components really, really good and the highest quality, but the end result might be crappy. Right. Well, why is that? So the most important thing that I've learned recently is that having all high quality ingredients is one thing and making them the best you can is one thing, but making sure that all those ingredients interact with each other and are in sync with each other is the hardest part about making ramen. Right. Right. 100%. Right. So it's just like, there's like balance, right? With the, how the garlic interacts with the soup. Um, and there's like a lot of like little like factors that I think makes a good bowl of ramen. So let me try to explain to you what I think making a good bowl of ramen is. I think for like, not only besides having high quality ingredients or making, it's not about having high quality ingredients. It's about, it's so like you made ramen, it's like, it's the ingredients that you get and you make something good out of it. Like, I'm not like looking for the best pork and looking for the best flour and nothing like that. Because in Japan, like the style of ramen is considered like, I don't know, like a salary man or like a college, college student. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to figure out like, so the one thing for me is like ramen has to be piping hot. So the first thing that's important is that the bowls, we boil them. Like they're sitting in a pot of boiling water. <laughs> 
right? And then when we when we make a round of ramen every day, when I start making a round of ramen, I call it dialing it in, right? So how long does noodles take to cook? So based on how long the noodles take to cook, so let's say they take three minutes to cook. You know, I pull out the bowl, I put in the tare, I put in the soup. Are the noodles ready? No. So I wait a second, noodles ready. I put in the noodles into the bowl, toppings, etc. I serve that bowl. That bowl is not the best bowl possible. The next round, I pull the tare, I pull the soup. Uh, I mean, I pull the bowl, I put in the tare, I put in the soup. The second I finish letting the soup, those noodles need to be ready, mm-hmm. right? The time from soup to noodle has to be like the smallest amount of time as possible. So when I'm making ramen, everything has to be the smallest amount of time as possible for it to be the best, right? So by limiting the amount of, I don't know, idle time between each task, you can not only make the hottest bowl of ramen, but all the ingredients are at its peak, peak deliciousness. <laughs> um, no, that makes and- a lot of sense. Yeah. Because especially the noodles, the noodles, I mean, everything else does make sense too. But if you overcook a noodle because you're waiting or if the noodle, the soup gets cold because the noodles are taking a little bit longer than you thought, that's not going to be your 100% bowl. It's going to be like a 95, 90, depending on what variables go into it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So like, like when you have a bowl that's piping hot, the garlic that you put in there tastes different than a bowl that's not piping hot. Mm. Right? Like the garlic... When it's like, I don't know, let's say um, 197 Fahrenheit, and that's how hot the bowl is. That garlic is going to taste a lot different than a bowl that's like 167 Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So the flavor actually changes a lot. Um, so that's why it's really important that people eat the ramen immediately as soon as I serve it. And, you know, I don't, I, this is a question that I have for you. How is pork? Normal, like the, the way I feel about pork and chashu is that a lot of places, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on this one, is that they cook the chashu and then they refrigerate it and then they pre-slice it mm-hmm. so that it's easier to slice. There's usually chashu that's cold. And then they heat it up some way like a torch or they, they cut it thin enough that the soup can heat it up. Is that the typical way to make ramen? Or what a is... lot of people do it like that, where they're, they're heating up, they, they use the, they chill the chashu because it just makes it easier to cut. I think that's, I mean, all, there's, there's some theories too, that when you chill it with the tare, that forces the tare into the meat too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it is, it makes it easier to cut and you can prep ahead of time because if you're trying to do service as quickly as possible, it's easier to just put those things on and torch it a little bit and heat it up that way. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure too. I'm, I've never worked in a ramen shop. Someone like Kazel could answer that very easily, but. Yeah. I'm curious because what I, what I do here, what I think is the most like for uh, quality ramen is that's, so the pork takes about like two hours to cook and then about an hour and a half to marinate in the soy sauce. Right. So when, when I, when I make my best ramen, when I open the store for the day, that pork just got out of the marinade. Oh, I see, I see. Right? It just got out of the meaning I have no pork ready on hand right now. 
Like that pork just got out of the marinade. And you know, it's, it's gonna take three and a half hours to cook the next batch, right? Mm -hmm. So I need, so the, the hardest thing about uh, my time making ramen is anticipating how many customers are gonna come within these, this amount of time. So I need to like estimate and then cook that amount of pork. And my favorite part about shift is like, I'm on like my last piece of like chashu, the last slice of chashu onto the ramen. I have no more chashu and I look at the clock and it's ready. The next, the, it's time for the chashu to come out of the marinade. <laughs> and then I, and then I make my next round and Eric's standing there unrolling the pork and then yeah. he hands me the pork fresh out of the marinade <laughs> like that. And, you know, and then I'm, I'm slicing that. Like it's because Still usually hot. when you cook, yeah. Cause when you, when you cook a lot of pork, that, that soy sauce heats up it's still hot. It's mm -hmm. still delicious. So like, and, but like that, having that, achieving that is really difficult, you know? Um, so there's a, the, the chashu that's like a day old chashu versus chashu that's fresh out of the marinade is completely different. So I think like, you like the I fresh one better. Do you think the fresh one's way better than the, Oh my, the Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You, the fresh chashu is ridiculous. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are used to what I think a lot of people are used to like the day old chashu taste. And that's yeah, what yeah. like people are used to. And that's considered good, but it's just like, and that's what we used to do here too. We used to do day old chashu and I was just like, but fresh chashu is really, really good. And Siyoshi was like, eh, but, but then I developed a system where I can forecast, estimate how many customers I have. Cause I come from a business background. So I use my big business background to run a business. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And that's how I started making good ramen was like, I'm not using day old pork right now. I'm using pork that's fresh out of marinade. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I improve the pork for that particular day. Sometimes I have to use uh, day old pork, but that's like very minimum. You know what I mean? Like, let's say I underestimate or overestimate. I have all the extra pork on hand, you know, but I have to use that, but it's going to be for like the first, like, you know, few bowls. Mm -hmm. So the rule of thumb at Yume is that never get the first few bowls. <laughs> But what if everybody finds that out and nobody wants to be the first few bowls? It's just like, uh, let's just wait till it's like closing time, and and then the first few bowls are like right at closing time because everybody get is in the on the secret pro tip. Yeah, I'm just pro fucking tips. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the ramen is good. Like, I think like the base ramen that I can is good. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have like day old pork, regular soup, like it's just good, but. Like you as a customer, if you eat my good ramen every single day, you're not going to want to eat my ramen again because you're just like, because uh, you're going to feel like the ramen quality has declined if I keep it consistent. Uh -huh, uh -huh. If, if I improve the ramen every single day, you as a consumer will feel like I have created a consistent ramen. Right. Whereas me, that makes sense. Yeah. So I have to improve the ramen every day. Like for six years. I continue to try to improve the ramen, you know? And I talk about like um, chashu selection. Like, like when I cook my chashu, um, I examine my chashu. Um, so let's say I have like eight pieces of chashu. I have to cut it in a very specific way so that there's more, you take the, this like, so one piece of chashu, it 
has a fatty side and a lean side. Mm -hmm. But you want to cut the chashu in a way where it's like pushes some of the fat from the fatty side over to the lean side, right? And then when I'm uh, selecting my chashu, I need to make sure that there's an even distribution of quality chashu to each customer, right? So that's also like another attention to detail that's really important for me so that, you know, each bowl, if you can grade it, it's the same grade across the night for every mm -hmm. single customer. Because if you give like a customer, like all the best pieces of pork, then one person later on in the night can have all the shitty pieces of pork. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so that's like, like, that's how like conscious you have to be about each component of the ramen. And it's just like, when you get garlic in for the day, I don't put the same amount of garlic in every single bowl. So like if the garlic comes in today and we, you know, we mince it, how sharp is that garlic? Mm -hmm. So if the, sharp, if the garlic is really sharp, I only put a little bit of garlic in the, in the ramen and that little bit of garlic will still have the, will have the same effect as a lot of garlic. You know, it's more concentrated high feel. So that's really important as well. Um, any, uh, I, I, I talked for a long time. Should no, no. Yeah. That's all. That's all great stuff. Have you, have you changed a lot of the recipes since Tsuyoshi left or has it kind of been similar or I know you said you, you kind of changed the chashu up. You're using hot, the hot chashu now, fresh chashu. Is there anything else that you made some huge change? I know the soup as well, but is there anything where it's like, you think that Tsuyoshi would come back like, Oh, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's not, that's not how we make you ramen here. Or no, he, he, he promotes that. Okay. Cause I'm not, I'm not changing the recipe. I'm chasing, I'm chasing a feeling. I'm chasing a taste, right? I'm trying to recreate his ramen. Uh -huh. And I feel like every change and every step that I make is one step closer to recreating his ramen. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, if, I, if I just stick to the recipe, then I would never be able to make his ramen because, right. you know, because like, you know, um, ingredient fluctuations, like if, like you were just saying, the garlic is different, you can't just stick to a recipe. You have to know what you're chasing. Exactly, exactly. All right. Let's try to get into some listener questions. We talked for an hour and a half already, and we didn't do any of these. Really? Things, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's see. So a lot of these are kind of Yume-related, and then there's some ramen-related things, too. <laughs> let's start off with this one. This is from, from Melt Gary, Gary uh, over there, Matsudai Ramen. Did you hire Kyoto because he looks like Hackerman in Kung, Fu, Kung Fury? No, <laughs> <laughs> that was the question that I had too. Not not the hackerman from Kung Fury, but when you hire people at Yume, are you looking for a specific type of person, or are you, are are you just taking people in and then you kind of mold them into this thing? Um, whew, that's a good question. Yes, I I am looking for a specific time type of person. So I do the, I I hire in two ways. The first way I hire is I scout people. I get to like, you're, if you're a customer, I get to know you, I vibe with you well. And I just be like, Hey, you want to work here? <laughs> and that's yeah. like really, and then I bring them in. They're like, Oh yeah. Cause I've already vibed with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the other way I hire is like people that want to work here. So then during the interview process, I really tell them like, Hey, this is what you're getting yourself into. I want you, I, like, I'd be a hundred percent transparent with all the people that work here. Like, this is what you're getting yourself into. Like, I want you, I like, 
if you are looking for this job to make money right now, like this is not a job to make money. If you're coming to EMA to want to learn, want to grow and want to like improve yourself, then work here. But if you're looking for a job to make money, I know many people in the industry. I can get you a job at the other ramen shops. I can get you a job anywhere. Like I literally can get people jobs if they are if their purpose is to make money. No problem. Uh, but if you're here to want to learn, you want to grow, you want to improve yourself, you want to learn how to accomplish your dreams, then this is why you're here. Once I put that expectation out, I invite them to decide, do they want to work here or not? Right? And then once they decide to work here, I set my expectations. And after setting my expectations, I expect them to live up to those expectations. And very transparent with what, how I communicate to my employees and, you know, through that process, it has been really good for me. But in the beginning, it wasn't good for me because I didn't know how to be a good leader. It's through the failures of learning how to be a good leader that led me to become a better leader. I don't think I'm necessarily a good leader. I'm striving to be a good leader. Are you in the thought, pro- are you in the school of thought that's fire fast, I mean, hire fast, fire fast, or are you more like be more selective with the hiring, be super selective and then? try to set yourself up for success. I just, I've heard both ways kind of work. Cause like, I'm, um, do, do people ever sneak through? That's kind of, you know, I thought this person was actually here to learn, but it really does seem like they're just here for, for a job. Does anybody sneak through the process or has it been pretty good or? Uh, maybe one or two, but, <laughs> but usually, but usually they they die out really quickly. Because uh, it's 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 pretty intense, I can imagine. You guys are doing fresh soups, and there's a lot of ramen shops in America that are just like whoop, dump it into a bowl pot and heat it up, and whoop, open up noodles and boil that. I don't know if you know that. Like, there's a ton of shops in America that that's all they do is they just they're just opening pre-made soups, pre-made noodles, pre-made chashu, heating it up and shit. So it's definitely yeah. not one of those shops that you're gonna work at. You may. Well, that's the thing. That's why I kind of like joined this community of people because they're trying to make good ramen. And it's just like, for example, like a ramen shop just opened in Boston. I just, I won't name it. But when I went there to try to try the ramen, I asked the chef uh, many questions. I realized the chef was just a kid that some, some guy opened the shop and hired a chef to make the ramen. So in, in that moment, I was just like, okay, like he's just following a recipe that somebody taught him. He's actually not the chef, mm-hmm. which is fine. And that's, and that's fine. And I, I used to, when I was younger, like a couple of years earlier in my career, I would frown upon that. But now I realize that I'm just in a different tier and I don't need to compare myself to those people because like, people that own a ramen shop simply to make money and serve as much ramen as possible to make money uh, is a different tier of its own. You have to respect their hustle, respect what they're doing. You know, their goal is to make money and they open up a ramen shop in an area that doesn't have ramen and provide ramen for people. And that's fine. That's great. And that's not what I'm doing. So I don't need to compare myself to those right. people. That's a, that's a great way to think about it. Cause I feel like maybe it would be really easy to be jaded if you're putting so much work and effort and energy and passion into making ramen for people. And then you see other shops that you know that they're operating at a much lower cost because they can just 
reheat things and sell whatever 50 100 bowls 200 bowls and because it doesn't take much effort to do what they're doing i i, I can see it can be pretty jaded um pretty like a you can get jaded with that really fast but if you have that <coughs> mentality where that's not something that you're interested in doing anyway then that's not a big deal um this is from Paul Poo Fruits. Has anyone come back saying they've achieved the dream that they shared? All the time. It's beautiful. It's like one of the most beautiful things that I get to encounter um, when people come back and tell me that they've accomplished a dream simply because they shared it here. We actually had it happen this past Friday. I wrote it on the wall over there. He wanted to open a small batch uh, ice cream shop. Mm. And he made his, like, he's, he made like, he made some ice cream, he made labels, and he's like in the process of like uh, opening his ice cream shop. And he came in and he's like, hey man, like, I would really love it if you would, he gave me like four pints of different ice creams. And he was like, I would really love it if you give me your honest opinion about all these ice creams. And then I was like, okay. And I ate them and I, I told him what I liked and I told him what I didn't like. And he was like, he appreciated my feedback and he took a picture of his dream and posted on his story, like his, his um, profession, like his company story. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that was like a really beautiful thing to see, you know? Awesome. And, and it's just like um, when I was doing my um, um, life of a Yume chef series on my Instagram, so many customers from the past that I forgot about uh, messaged me and just told me like, dreams that they accomplish and how like you may help them uh, accomplish these dreams. And it's just like, that's the part of my work that provides me the most fulfillment. That goes right into Eric's question really nicely. So what dream did you help someone accomplish that you're most proud of? <laughs> oh man. This, who, who asked that? Eric Kyoto. Ah, he asked that on purpose. Yeah, I was asking, uh, is that a troll question? Because they get a lot of those with this podcast too. They sneak them in there. Um, let me think about how to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think. Yeah, I mean, I got a couple. Um, like, um, damn, I'm thinking of this one particular dream, but I can't, I can't talk about it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about my favorite one. But I won't go into specifics of it. Okay. His name, his name is, uh, his name is Shun and his dream is to get a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And... I supported him in achieving that goal. Um, that was really good. Okay. Uh, another dream would be, oh, I don't know. Like I, the, the only, it's, it's difficult to say is because I don't, the only, my, my main way of supporting is simply by saying good job and keep going, right? And that's all that it needs to really push someone to continue doing what they do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I feel like I helped a lot of people accomplish their dreams, but the effort that I put in is very minimal. It's just, Hey, like, what's your dream? You can do it. Good job. And 
you know, let me know if you accomplish it. And most people accomplish their dreams by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, this is from Kansui Bay. What's something about operating you made that you wish you could change, but it's out of your control? Or is there anything that's out of your control that you wish you could change? Um, oh, damn. I wish... If I can, like... Uh, if I can, like, tear down this building and redesign it for optimize like efficiency i would mm. like it's it's like like my my main focus here is to make efficient use of the space provided right so um we have a tatami room and in that room it was built by the grandmaster okay the the uh, grandmaster above your tsuyoshi san yes okay so the grandmaster built a tatami room and it's optimized for efficiency. Like it's a very small space, but it's like, so like there's tatami mats, but under the tatami mats is like, like drawers and like, and like, like cubbies and stuff. So you can pull, and then it's just like more storage space. Uh -huh. And like the design of everything in that room is like so efficient. So what I could change about Yume is how it's laid out so that I can have the maximum efficiency of everything, you know? Um, if we talk about the noodle room, like we have these like noodle, like these little pins, right? And that's how you roll the noodle up into a big roll. Yeah. And uh, what I always wanted to do is have something hang from the ceiling above the noodle machines with the pins so that I can just grab the pin and put it on top. Uh -huh. So it, it basically, it reduces me from taking two steps to one step. Yeah, yeah. So I always think about how to do only something in one step. Mm -hmm. That's really, really important to me. If it takes two steps, I think it's too much. It's great advice. Awesome. All right. This is, let's get into some ramen making things. Uh, this is from Mike Ramen Lord. What are your long-term goals as a ramen chef? Oh, I guess you shared those already, right? You kind of said that you want to create your Yume things. Okay, let's go to the next one. Well, let's what? go about that. My, okay, my long-term yeah. goal with, uh, so uh, Mike expressed interest that he wants to work here for a week. He wants to stage for a week at Yume? Yep. Oh, nice. So if, let's say that's a long-term dream. Um, so my long-term dream is that, you know, for Mike, on that week that he's here, my dream is that by the end of the week, on the last service of the week, he can prep and get the store ready to open without my guidance. Like that's my dream. Um, so like my long-term dream is that I hope to one day be an old man here and all these people come here to learn how to make ramen. And I just stand there and I'm skilled enough in my teachings that I can make them produce good ramen. Because like one thing that I started learning recently is that when somebody fails, it's not because they failed. It's because I failed to teach them how to do it properly. Mm. So I want to get to a level where I'm just standing there as the host. I want to be the host. My true passion is to be the host of Yume Wakatare. But right now I'm focusing on figuring out how to make good ramen. Once I make good ramen, then I can advance to the next step is to teach how to make ramen. And once I can teach how to make good ramen, then 
I cannot make ramen anymore and have people come in here and make ramen for the customers at the quality I expect it to be and just focus on hosting. Cool. Uh, it's from Mike again. What aspects of ramen do you feel like you have the least knowledge in? And I guess this is just for general ramen making, not necessarily Yume ramen. Everything. <laughs> like, uh, like noodles. Like I didn't know what like hydration was. Like I, like I, what I, I just know how to make ramen, right? I didn't know like the terminology. I didn't know like all these things. Like, um, like I didn't even know like the word emulsification until like later on in my career. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about ramen. Like, I don't know. I just know like, okay, this is bones. This is soup. This is tare. This is chashu. How do I make it the best tasting and the best I can? And that's really it. You know, I, um, there's something that somebody taught me. They said that there's um, in a class, in a classroom setting where there's two groups, A and group B, where um, group A's job is to make a pot, the best pot they can at the end of the semester. And group B's job is to make as many pots as they can. So, but, and the outcome is that at the end of the semester, the group that has made as many pots as they can produce the best pot, huh. right? Where the person that was just trying to make one pot the best that they can actually did not produce the best pot. Oh, interesting. So the way I'm looking at that is that for me, I'm just trying to make as many bowls of ramen, not different types of ramen, but make this bowl of ramen as many times as I can over and over and over again until I can achieve the best bowl of ramen that I can. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, instead of just focusing on like making the best shoyu and then, okay, I made shoyu and then make shio and then make yume and then make miso, something like that. Right. But it's, it's a weird analogy that I've been. No, it makes sense. With. Yeah. It's like that Bruce yeah. Lee quote about, don't fear the man that practiced a thousand kicks. If you're the man that practiced one kick a thousand times, that's <laughs> kind of like <laughs> the Bruce Lee quote, the kind of famous one. Yeah. Here's another one from Mike. Can Yume style ramen be refined with higher end ingredients? I think it could be. Um, but then you get really limited, right? Like uh, when I talk about my noodle struggles, people are like, okay, here's what you can do. Seal off the windows, get a good humidifier in there. Um, you know, you can get, somebody mentioned uh, getting this reader that can measure the moisture in the flour. And then I was like, whoa, like all these things, like, he's like, you can like reduce the variables in that room so you can produce uh, good noodles uh, constantly. And my thought process to that is that uh, I, I'll relate it back to Call of Duty yeah. when I used to play Call of Duty. Yeah. So I was a really good Call of Duty player, but I had a lot of clutches. What those clutches were was that I had a headset and I had like these like uh, joystick extenders mm -hmm. on my control. And with those two things, I, was, I played Call of Duty and very, very well. When I was put into another setting where I didn't have the headset 
and the joystick extenders, I was a terrible Call of Duty player. Interesting. So with that said, if I make all these conditions in those rooms here at Yume, that means that if I go somewhere else to do a pop-up or I go somewhere else, I need to have all these conditions. Right, if I don't have right. all these conditions, I cannot produce good ramen. Right. So because I am given these ingredients and I just take them for what it is, I troubleshoot and learn how to deal with the different types of ingredients. And I figure out how to make good ramen out of something that's not good. Right. That's, that's actually, that's, that's, that's actually pretty profound and great because I mean, if you're, if your goal really is to become a master at it, you're going to need to be able to do it in any situation. You can't temperature control, humidity control everything. And even when it comes down to like, even the ladles and you're not going to have that if you're making ramen somewhere else, that's completely foreign. So it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is a weird question, but I was like, I kind of want to ask it. And I kind of want to ask whoever's still watching. This is from Perez. How are your poos? Haha. <laughs> and also, what's your second favorite style? Whichever one you want to ask, answer. <laughs> because I think you, but I, and the reason I want to ask is like, sometimes it's like, what the fuck is going on in my poos? And it's like, and then he asked that question is like, is this related to making so much Robin? And so I was like, is everybody else, does anybody else struggle with this shit too? Like, I don't know. And then I was talking. Poos? I think like going to the bathroom? Yeah. Like you're taking a dump. It's like, oh man. Um, they're, mine are fantastic. <laughs> okay, so nothing to do with the ramen then. No, it does. Like, it does. It does. It does. <laughs> um, I'm a very regular man. Okay. Um, I, uh, so, <laughs> you need to eat this ramen every single day. Uh-huh. I've been eating this ramen every single day for six years. Yeah. Like, when trying to make good ramen you need to eat it every day Mm -hmm. you know uh and lately uh i've gained some weight and eric was like you know how i know the ramen's good i'm like (laughs) how it's because you've gotten fatter i know you've been eating i know you've been eating that ramen i've been eating it like two to three times a day i've been eating two to three yume bowls a day (laughs) it's because it's so good and i just crave it over and over again and I gained weight and Eric's like, dude, you being fat is such a beautiful thing. <laughs> Eric, Eric is saying in the chat, talk about the Yakult story. And they're like, Ryan, Airhorn time oh, stay. So uh, I, we were serving Ramdan, right? And I, I never really, you, you, you know what Yakults are, right? Yeah, yeah. My wife buys them all the time. And I didn't know what it was. And I was just like, uh, and then like somebody bought them and I was, I drank them. I was like, wow, this is really good. It was like, I think this would really go with the Ramdan. <laughs> and we bought a ton of your coat just to like for service. And then throughout service, I was just drinking like six of them at a time. <laughs> I didn't realize what that would do to me. You completely repopulated your gut microbiome with the, the uh, cold strain yeah. of bacteria. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought, like, during service, I was just like, Eric, I need to go. <laughs> like, you know, and, like, I was like, dude, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I was going, like, seven times a day. And then I, it dawned on me. It was, like, all the Yakuza I was drinking. <laughs> That's freaking hilarious. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to ask. And I don't know. It's kind of a weird question. It's like, oh man, this is this is a very unique question. So I just gotta ask it. Anyways. Uh let's see. This is this is really weird because the people that are asking questions that are in the Discord server, it's almost like they know who you are because they're they're asking things that you already kind of talked about. So for example, Elvin, he's not watching the in the stream anywhere, but um what's a small task at Yumi that you've noticeably gotten better at over the last year? A small task? Yeah. And how so? Oh god. I don't um I'm uh everything. <laughs> So like, I literally, uh, in my first year or my second, you know, my first year when I became the chef, the head chef and learned how to do prep and all that stuff, I literally time every, everything that I do. I time how long it takes me to cut cabbage. I time how long it takes me to roll chashu. I time how long it takes me to break bones. I time how long it takes me to literally every, I time every single task. And then I try to improve how I can do things. So timing all my tasks and then finding out what is the maximum speed that I can do each task at. Um, And that's, so that question is everything. How do you, this is is a question for me. Like, how do you do that? And then not beat yourself up if you are, you make like your progress kind of stalls or you kind of go backwards. How do you approach that? Do you even think about that? Or are you just like, oh yeah, I was pretty good today. Yeah. Yeah. I do do think about that. Um, You're going to have your bad days and you're not going to always be on top of your game. And if you let yourself beat beat yourself up for that, it's going to be too much on your, you know, mental health yeah so recognizing that you have bad days when you have bad days there are going to be people there to support you mm-hmm. there's going to be people there to make sure that things get done and that's the community that i have right now you know like when my like when my members recognize that i'm having a bad day they come through and we end up you know accomplishing what we need to accomplish and that's like the give and take that's really important you know what i mean like so that's 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 still like a work in progress. It's always gonna be a work in progress, right? It's gonna be hard because like sometimes like you know, like uh like like if Eric has a bad day, like I need to be sure I recognize that hey, he's having a bad day, it's okay. I should support him and work harder so that he feels supported. Mm-hmm. Um but that's not it's like easier said than done, right? And that's just like something that's really important to cultivate a good family, a good community. Right. And you guys are picking up on each other's vibes. If they're struggling, then you can kind of know. Yeah. That's interesting. That's so different than what I've heard about other kitchen experiences in other restaurants. Like I had, I was just talking with Eric Bentz and um, Mike off. It wasn't in a podcast, but I put it up in Patreon and he talked about like when service, when people are struggling at service and then they start to cut corners, there's usually like temper start to flare in a, in a, in a regular kitchen, right? Like you have someone who's like they're they're struggling to keep up with the tickets and they start to like cut corners and certain things and and then people start to get mad at each other for that. Does, does that happen at Yumi or is not really? You guys just kind of cover cover each other. Um, it it does happen. Um, it happens here and there, but we figure it out. Like mm-hmm. uh, like for example, if somebody's having a really bad day, like uh, we had this one member who just had a had bad day, and I was like, okay. 
go on a break. Um, and they're like, I don't need a break. And I was like, okay, you don't need a break. I want you to go in the back for 15 minutes, sit down with your notebook and reflect about, just reflect for 15 minutes mm. or five minutes or something like that. Um, or like in the past, like when I was like, like in the past, if somebody's like being extremely like rude, um, I'll just tell them like, hey, I want you to go outside. I want you to stand outside. When you're ready to work, come back inside. Something like that, you know, like you just let them, like if, if you just gotta let them give them some space and let them kind of like figure things out what have been. And then it's like, it's like, it's really important. It's like uh, in kitchens, like if you let your temper get the best of you, it, it, it comes, it rubs off wrong. And I, I let I let my temper get the best of me sometimes too. But then you know I make sure that I apologize after, and then I won't let it happen again. And usually, what I what I usually try to do is just be like, okay, hey, like, like we need to like we need to make through this service. What can we do? Yeah. Or like, how do we tackle this? And if let's say we fail for that day, we do a thing called chore and shure, where we set the goals for the day at the beginning yeah. of shift. At the end of the shift, we talk about them. And having having that co- it's like basically having a period like a, a quarterly review every single day. Right. You know what right. I mean? And we talk about, you know, uh, stuff and I and I create a space where people can be vulnerable with me to talk about their feelings and create that space where they're okay to express who they are, what they're feeling without being judged, without being that. And you know, and, and hopefully that allows them to to do things, um, you know. Eric always says that he has a, a, a love hate relationship for me, um, because sometimes I can be really tough on Eric, and yeah. and but he knows that my heart, like I, I come from a good place, mm-hmm. and he sees that I'm trying to improve myself and how I'm tough with him, and you know, like when he sees that, I think that's where the love hate relationship comes in, you know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, some of these other questions, kind of weird. Not weird, but are you? Do you? This is from LL Cool DJD One. Uh, when are you coming to California? <laughs> do you have any plans um, to pop ups in California? I do. I think. I think. Right. I think when COVID's over. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go right to California. I've nice. had a ton of. I had a ton of support. Yeah. Like the amount of support that I've got from for this pop up, it has just made. It just made me realize that this pop up is very easily achievable. Yeah. NorCal yeah. has the, it's crazy. Um, I was talking to Mike about it. And he was, I don't know if this is on podcast or if this is off podcast. We talk a lot, but he was saying, like, if you told me five years ago that, oh, yeah, California is going to be a pretty big hotspot for ramen, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, he's saying, that. like, there's all these places, but the, 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 the community of people making ramen in California has, so over the past two years kind of blew up. So I think it's a cool place to be to, to make ramen. Yeah. I, I think that'll be really, I think that'd be really fun too. I like, I, I like that. Um, you know, Keizo said something about ramen recently that um, I was really impressed by it because my, my mentor said the same thing. He said that he, uh, he hopes that ramen shack is going to be the worst ramen in New York city. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone else is going to be better than him. Yeah. And my master said something very similarly. Um, because uh, 
Because when I ask my master how he feels about um, if a ramen shop opened up next to Yume Okatare, how do you view that? The first thing he said was, we are not a ramen shop. We're a dream workshop. So <laughs> yeah. they're not in direct competition with us. Yeah. And I've, and I've taken, and, and I've, and I've taken that onto myself as well. Like I, I realized that the second thing I realized is that if seven ramen shops open next to Yumeo Katare, that only forces me to be better. Mm-hmm. I have to be better now because I have no choice. I have to make better ramen. And if I make better ramen, they're going to make better ramen. And if right. they make better ramen, I have to in turn make better ramen. I'm going to have to keep improving. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, I don't see them as competition. It sees us, okay, how do I grow? How do I grow? Mm, it's a very japanese kind of school of thought. So they have <laughs> a thing called rivals. I don't know what the, the they just say raibaru or whatever, the Japanese pronunciation of rival, but it's kind of like, not frenemies, but you see someone as as a equal skill level to you and you guys sharpen each other's skills all the way up kind of basically. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. There's a bunch of, there's some other questions here, but um, I'm not sure. I think you kind of answered most of them. Do you, do you want to talk about your, the grandmaster story and then close it out? Or do you want to talk about anything ramen making specific and close it out? Or what do you want to talk um, about? I don't know. We've been going two hours already. So, I mean, it's up to you, however, however long. Well, I, ha- I have, I have time, I think. Let me see. Let me check the time real quick. Yume is a living anime. Yeah, I have like another, I mean, I, it's based on your time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to keep you, but I, <laughs> I just want to know, I want you to know that I have time. Okay. Yeah. Um, we, well, let's, 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 let's do your grandmaster story uh, that you said you want to talk about a little bit. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about my grandmaster story. So my master has a, has a boss. His boss is his wife. <laughs> And she is the considered the grandmaster. And she, I shared to her that I would love to be able to work one shift with her. And she, for like years, she would never work with me. And she, it was maybe a year ago. She, uh, year, yeah, like a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, she granted me one shift because she's moving back. She was moving back to Japan. Uh. And she's not going to be around. And I worked with her. And working with Siyoshi's wife is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Why is that? It's like, okay. So there's a, so the, the, there's two ways to make noodles, right? So there's uh, the, when you're making noodles, uh, if, you're, if it's just one person, you cut it, you feed it into, you cut the sheet, you feed it, the noodles cut, and they fall into a box. And after all the noodles fall into the box, you stand, you pick the box up and you cornstarch it and you put it into another box and then you put it into the fridge. Like that's the one person set up. Mm-hmm. The two person set up is that one person cuts, the other person sitting at the end of the machine and, and as the noodles are falling uh, into the bucket, you cornstarch it and then you put it, when I'm cornstarching with my master, he cuts it so efficiently. Like this is one sheet and the other sheet is like this close to it uh, as it falls into the belt. 
Oh, wow. so, his so his efficiency of cutting is so high that the rate of noodles hitting me is so fast. So I, so my best time to finish corn starching is uh, four minutes and 21 seconds. Mm -hmm. And when it was her and I corn starching, I was cutting it the fast I can. And she was so fast at it that she looked at me and was like, is the machine on full speed? Like, this is so slow. And she I was, was like, trained oh with her husband. So she, she was used yeah. to that speed. Oh, that's funny. Right. And then, so like after you're done cutting the first sheet, uh, so what you do is you turn around, you unpackage the other uh, roll and you pick it up and put it on. You start cutting. Mm -hmm. That is maybe like three seconds to do. Within those three seconds, she has lit the box of uh, noodles that have been cornstarch, wiped them clean of any cornstarch, runs to the refrigerator, puts them in the fridge, and comes back <laughs> faster than I can cut the first sheet. <laughs> Seeing that, um, like, that speed, like, when I work with her, like, it's the craziest shit. Like, great. So my master, something that I've been trying to achieve in my entire career is that we close at 10 p.m. At 10, 10 p.m., he, he can clean the kitchen in 10 minutes. Wow. Completely clean. It takes me 45 minutes to this day to clean the kitchen. <laughs> it takes him 10 minutes to clean, sanitize the kitchen. And you've seen him do it? Minutes. You've seen him do it, but you can't do it? I cannot do it. <laughs> I cannot. And the last time... Uh, uh, I work with Naomi-san. So what, we, what you do is you sweep, right? And then you mop. Mm -hmm. Japanese people, they sweep and then they take a floor towel and get on their hands and knees and scrub the floors. Yeah. Right? Like that's what they do. And that the floor, when you, when you get on your hands and your knees and you scrub the floor with a towel, it's going to be always 100% more clean than when you mop. Right, right. Because you get into like the nooks and the crannies and when you're that low to the ground, you can see where the dirt is. Mm -hmm. This woman can, can sweep and mop at the same time. So she would take a towel and mop the floor. But as she's mopping the floor, sweeping at the same time. <laughs> and like, I was just like standing there just watching her work. And I was like, I can't. Like the, like the speed in which she works at is like beyond human. I, I can't. Like, it's literally the craziest thing I've ever seen. So, like, my master, he taught me a lot of stuff, but she is, like, his backbone. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, working with her is, like, crazy. I have a lot of respect for that woman. That's awesome. So, have yeah. they, do they ever come back? I mean, it's COVID now, so you can't really travel as much. We're kind of locked out of Japan, and they're kind of locked out of America, but... Do they were they coming back at all after they left or after in 2018 when they came back? They're like, you said they, no, were they back have once a month. The, they they used to come back once a month. Um, uh, Siyoshi used to come back once a month, and now they officially just moved to Japan. Oh, okay. Um, simply because the reason why he was coming back once a month was because he owned both uh, the udon shop here mm -hmm. and the ramen shop. But since he's uh, now sold it, he has no reason to come back. I see. Uh, and, and, you know, I, if, but now he treats me like a business owner. Mm -hmm. 
right? So it's just like, before he would come back once a month, he's like, now it's like, if he, if I wanted to come back, I need to pay for his plane ticket, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's super cool, man. This has been great. Uh, I can kind of close it out here unless I can, I don't see any other questions that you haven't answered. Can you tell everybody where they can find you uh, online at your shop, what you're working on online, your content stuff? What do you mean? Well, I don't I, know. Like you're usually people say like, Oh, you can find me on Instagram at, at Yumeo, yeah, Yumeo Katare. Uh, yeah. Instagram, Yumeo Katare. That's where I try to like, try to like do most of my, like my teachings and like my content. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Join the way of ramen discord <laughs> hopefully it's i think i think i've heard that it's less toxic today than it was maybe a couple months ago so hopefully you're enjoying it the mods are been eric is a mod there and he's doing a great job yeah so. i mean I don't, i'm not really in there i kind of pop in every once in a while uh-huh. for me to be in front of a computer is very rare yeah yeah um you know like uh and when i have my phone it's like email and like instagram and like whatever like i don't browse i don't do anything like that mm. so mostly instagram um i usually try to respond to my message all the nice messages on like my days off mm-hmm. because like when people message me things if it's really important i feel like i want to take the time to write something meaningful to them and what often ends up happening is because I put so much pressure on myself to write something meaningful, it takes me a very long time to get to people, mm. you know? Um, because like, I really wanna try to be, provide as much value as possible uh, and, you know, put as much effort into building this community, you know? Um, you know, like even now, uh, after a long day's work at shift, you know, Eric comes by, other people come by and we sit here and we drink and we talk to like 1 a.m. There was one night where we stayed here till like 5 a.m. and everybody was just talking. And then I had like service the next day. <laughs> but it's okay because like, um, I think when you're tired or when you're feeling tired or when you're feeling sleepy or whatever, it's because you're bored and not happy with what you're doing. Yeah. You know? So when you're incredibly invested in what you, you love, what you do, like you're never tired. You're never tired. You know, like, you know, like uh, when you, when you're about to go on vacation, like let's say you're going to go to Japan, like the night before you don't get any sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. But then like when you get onto the plane, you haven't gotten any sleep. It's been like a 30 something hour flight or whatever, how many hours. But the second you get to Japan, all of a sudden you have all this energy. Like you're, you just have no sleep in you, but you have all this energy. It's like a similar feeling. Like, yeah, that's, that's why on the weekends, that's why on the weekends, I don't look forward to the weekend, right? Because when the weekend comes, I stop doing what I love and I have to like stop doing what I love. But it's important to have the weekend for me is because on those two days off, I rest so that the next five days of work is going to be impactful. You know, so that's I, my trade-off. That's that's actually a great way to look at. It. I struggle with the same thing too. Like I love what I do. Like my whole life has been, my adult life has been kind of a trip. It's just me bouncing between doing things I hate, like doing doing something that I love to do, 
long enough where I don't like it, like doing it anymore. And then finding someone that's something else that I love to do. And that energy that you described, I know that, I know what that feels like you just wake up at yeah. 5.30 in the morning and you get to work. And then like, I think people who don't have that in their life, don't, doesn't know what it, don't know what it feels like. It's just like, man, but, but I've never thought of it that way where you need those days of rest to be at peak performance for the rest of the time. So maybe I should try that. That'd be a, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's important to take time to rest yeah. if you're doing what you love. Yeah. Because yeah. Cool. a lot of people spend a lot of people spend the week doing what they hate. And then on the weekend they like, okay, we need to do something great. We need to do something. Yeah. Then yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like that. I, I want people to just always do what they want to do. Um, and that's really important. And that's what I the, the kind of message that I tell my my members here is like uh an unconventional way that I schedule people here is I don't tell people, hey, what's your availability? And then I schedule, I schedule you then based on your availability. The way I schedule people here, um, especially pre-COVID, is I ask them, hey, what day would you like to work this month? And then they decide when they want to work. Mm-hmm. And when they work those days, because they decide to work those days, when they're here, they're happy to be here. Versus me saying, hey, you need to work Wednesday. And then they come in and they're just like, they don't want to be here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of people, a couple people have met, like when I talked about that in the past, a lot of business owners be like, you're just setting yourself up for like, like, like um, failure. I'm like, I've been doing this for six years. <laughs> I have, <laughs> And it's, it's like, because they think that it's all about money. People come in for money, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when, for me, it's like, I have to do my best to continue to grow and provide value to people that they want to come in. And the day I stop growing is the day Yimeo Katare dies. I get that. Yeah, definitely get that. Cool, man. Oh, they want you to plug the contest, the Valentine's Day contest. Are you judging that? Oh yeah, what about it? They want you to plug it, or uh, Steph wants you to plug it. <laughs> oh, you're you're judging a yeah. contest in the Discord server for Valentine's Day. Was it Valentine's Day contest or something else? So for the Valent, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be doing. I, I'm uh, judging Valentine's Day, and I've made it upon myself to who the winner of the Valentine's Day contest will get a uh, a. I will send them personally. Send them a DIY. You may ramen kit. Oh damn. Yeah. Well, well, she's scolding me for for saying asking you to plug it. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. thanks, Jake. This is awesome, man. I think people are gonna really like this one. It's a philosophical talk on ramen. It's a different take. Cool, man. I'm gonna just close it here, and then uh, thanks everybody for watching. Thanks so much again to Jake for coming on the show. If you are interested in following up with Jake or having a conversation with him about life or ramen or anything, you can follow him on Instagram at yumiokatare. I'll link up in the show notes below. And can you guys hear those chickens? I didn't realize people could hear the chickens in the podcast until someone told me. Anyways, if you are on the East Coast near Boston, please go check out Yume as it's definitely a special place, not just for the ramen, which is a Jiroke-inspired bowl, but also it's just a place for personal growth and you can go say hi to Jake in person. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Way of Ramen. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash wayoframen. Or if you're in the market for some high quality Japanese ingredients to make ramen, you can go to wayoframen.com slash shop. 
You can also follow my journey as I try to figure out how to make ramen on my own here on Kauai in Hawaii. On YouTube, just search Wave Ramen and I should show up there. Thank you all for listening and for all the support. And we have a huge guest next week, Keizo Shimamoto, finally on the Wave Ramen podcast with some very exciting news. So stay tuned for that one. See you all in the next one. Peace.